So we're in this message series, and we've talked about how God shapes us, how God shapes us into the person that he wants us to be. And the idea that we've talked about throughout this message series is this, that God loves you, and, and Mike alluded to this earlier, God loves you just the way that you are. Like, you're good. God, God is good with you. Like, he sent his son Jesus to die for you while you were still a sinner. So this whole idea of like this performance based of I've got to do all the right things and say all the right things and learn the secret handshake and do the right dance and all this stuff for God to love me and approve of me, that's just not true when it comes to what the Bible says about our faith. That's just not true. God loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He doesn't want to leave you in your sin, in your shame, in your past, in your regrets, in your failures. He doesn't want to leave you that way. He wants to grow you spiritually. And the, the kind of the key passage that we've looked at throughout this series is Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The idea is that our culture is constantly trying to shape us into their system, their pattern of thinking, their way of operating, whether it's morals or, or politics or sexuality, how we view others, how we view money, all, all these things. This world has this idea that it's constantly trying to shape us in, but we need to know what the Bible says and how it's different than what the world is trying to shape us. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Years ago, Liz and I, or I was overseas uh, on, a, on a missions trip helping out some missionary friends. And in this culture that we were in, they believed that um, the, the predominant religion in this, this, this country, they prayed to their ancestors for protection. In all the houses, like here in Arizona, we typically wall in our backyards. Most of you guys have fenced in or walled in backyards. But what they would do is they would wall in the entire property. So there was a, a little entrance or a little gate that would open up by the driveway, and, 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 but everything else on the property was fenced in. And by the gate where the major opening was, where they came in and out, there was always this little hut. It was probably like, a, I mean, it wasn't much bigger than this podium right here, but this little hut where they would have statues and, and different trinkets and things for their ancestors for them. And they would pray to those that they would protect their property. And so every, every little house that you saw, you saw this little thing. It was right by the driveway at the very edge of the property, not on the house, but at the very edge of the property. And it was there to ward off evil spirits, ward off things that they didn't want coming around their property. And it was really weird for me to see this being from an outside culture and a Christian. And, and like, we don't have idols like that over here. Like we just don't do that. And, and, but it made me think, it was so easy for me being from outside the culture to look at it and be like, oh, man, those are that's like idolatry. Like, that's that's bad. Like, we shouldn't be doing that. But it was easy for me to, to think that and to see that coming from the outside. But I, it made me also wonder, like, what about the idols that I have here? What about the idols that I have in me? What about the idols that are in my culture? When we go back to Genesis 1 in Scripture, we see that humanity was created to worship God. That is our primary purpose. Humanity was created to worship God. Now, there's all these big existential questions that humans have been kicking around for thousands of years, like, why do I not exist? Uh, well, how do I find my purpose? How do I discover my destiny? You've all heard these passages and these, these thoughts, but the Bible clearly teaches us that we were created to worship God. Isaiah 43, 21, the people who I formed for myself, that, that they might declare 
my praise. You were created to worship God. So the answer to all those existential questions, why am I here? What's my purpose? What's my destiny? What am I supposed to do? All that, the answer to all those questions is just that I'm created to worship God. That's it. That's a TED talk. That's a sermon. Let's go. Let's go home. Like, that's it. Right. I mean, that's that's all that we were created to do. And so this idea like that, that, that we're just created that. So we understand that we're hardwired to worship. We're hardwired as human beings to worship. Everyone worships something. It could be their career. It could be their relationships. It could be God. It could be uh, um, the 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 having stuff and worshiping stuff at their house. Even atheists, people who say that they don't believe in God, they tend to worship as well, but they worship different things like their like intellect and science and things like that. They worship those things. But one of the main things and what we want to talk about today for the rest of our time today is one of the main things that we see worshiped in our culture. Again, we're not we're not going to be conformed to the pattern of the world around us, but we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we have to understand what is one of the main things that our culture worships, and that's money. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, the Bible says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Does it say in that passage that we just read that money itself is the root of all kinds of evils? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. So is money good or bad? I've heard some preachers say that there's a spirit on money and blah, 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 blah. I don't see that really in Scripture. In Scripture, we see that there were men of great wealth like Abraham and David. These guys were wealthy beyond any of our imaginations. We're talking like like Jeff Bezos wealth, like just more money than we could even comprehend. These guys were that wealthy, Abraham and David. But then you also saw people of very humble backgrounds. Jesus was a carpenter's son. Like you don't get much poorer in that society than Jesus. And so, and so we, we see that it, the, these two extremes of how, how uh, the people had wealth and they didn't have wealth. And so money in scripture can't be inherently good or bad. We're looking uh, when we're looking at it, it's helpful for us today to see it as a tool. We see it as a tool, and, and a tool is something that takes on the will or the character of the person using it. It's like it's like this, you know, you could have a gun in that gun. You know, you might go to the shooting range. You might love going out to the shooting range. and You might be like, man, that's really fun for me and my family and my kids to go out to the shooting range. And that's just something we do together to bond together and spend time together. And we enjoy that. And so it's a tool that you use or something that you use to, to have fun together. But you could also take the same gun in down to downtown Phoenix, try to rob somebody. And then that tool is used for something completely. It's just a tool. It takes on the character of the person that's using it. The internet is a, the, a, a, a like, like the same way. There's all kind of evils that exist on the internet, but there's also the gospel that's being sent all over the world to regions of the world who've never had it before. It's just a tool and how you use it is what has the spirit of whether it's good or bad. So money isn't inherently good or bad, but First Timothy tells us that the love of money is. The love of money is, and why is that? Why is it that it says the love of money is? Because when we're talking about worship, when we're talking about uh, what, what we worship, and, and as we said before, everyone worships, when we find the object of our worship, we're seeing that where someone places their faith, their hope, and their trust. Where do you 
place your faith, your hope, and your trust? Where are you putting that? Where are you putting that in? And, and, and when, when your heart is in trouble, when you have anxiety, when you have fear, when things are that, what's, what's keeping you up at night? And in our society, a lot of times, and I can tell you I've done this, there's many times where I've lost sleep at night wondering how I was going to pay a bill or how I was going to do this or how I was going to do that. And, and money can do that to us. But we have to be careful that we don't love it and we don't see it as the object of our faith, hope, and trust. If I only had that, then my life would be fulfilled. And that's the culture that we find ourselves in. That's the society that we find ourselves in. If you look at the society, the message, the overwhelming message is, is that if you can get more money, if you can get more stuff, if you can get more things, that money can buy happiness. That's the message. And if, so we can put our faith, our hope, and our trust in it, and, that, and, and it will make everything in our lives better. We see that. We see faith, hope, and trust placed in the object of money in our society. And that's where we see the love of money. And so the love of money is the root of all evils. Some have gone so far as to use biblical terms and scripture to pursue their love of money. And we see this in what's referred to as the prosperity gospel. You will actually hear preachers using the Bible and pushing their love of money. And it really, it's, it's not about getting closer to God. It's about using God and using God's promises and using the scriptures, using God's word against him because I think he should give me more money. It's the, it's the same side of the same coin. It's the love of money being, but using the Bible to pursue it. Here's the greatest spiritual test, and I've said this before to you guys, and, and, and you, you, should, you should just understand this, because here's the thing. You might not always be part of Connected Church. You might not always be under my preaching. You might go somewhere else, and you might hear somebody else preach. That's cool. You know, do that. You know, hear somebody, listen to a podcast, do something else. But here's a good test to hear if the church that you're listening to or the message that you're listening to or the pastor that you're listening to talk about money is on the up and up or if you need to run. Here's the test. If in what you're hearing, they identify that you, everything is about a means and an end. So what's the goal? There's things that we do to get to the goal. If the church will use money to reach more people and make more disciples, then money is the means, but God is the end. God is the end. The whole idea is that for more people to, re, to have a relationship with God. And so if, if we're talking about money and we're talking about giving and we're talking about sir, uh, d doing these things, and, and the whole thing is we're just going to use this as a tool for more people to come to know Christ, that's a great church. Stay. Be a part of that. Enjoy that. God, good church. Let's stay. If the church, though, however, is teaching that we can use God because uh, we, to fatten our check accounts and to buy nicer cars and to have nicer things, then God is the means and money is the end. Do you understand the difference? So God is the means. God is the thing that we're using to get more stuff. Bad church, run. What is the means? What is the end? We have to understand what the means is and what the end is. And in, in doing that, we understand, is this for the love of God or is this for the love of God? Of money. Again, the Bible doesn't say that money is evil, rather that the love of money is evil. If we are not formed into the pattern of this world, 
but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, we have to get a healthy framework of how we view money. Some of us get real squeamish when we talk about money in the church. Dude, I don't like preaching about money. I mean, I think in Connective Church, I was thinking about it this morning. So we took five months off for COVID. We're a few months shy of being two years old. So I've probably preached about 80 times to you guys. And I think I've preached about money twice, maybe, for those of you guys who've been around the whole time. Maybe twice. I don't like talking about it because, it's, again, this is just a means to an end for me. The end is having a relationship with God. And so let's talk about that. How do we have a deeper relationship with God? But the problem is, is that the message of our culture is telling us that this is what's going to get us to where we need to be. And so we do need to talk about it sometimes. We do need to talk about it. We at Connective Church, we have a holistic view of giving. What does that mean? It means that it's not just about money. It's about your time, your energy, your passion, your lives. We want to give everything to God. I want to give everything to God. I want, I want God to have all of me. I don't want to have like just this one part of my life that God can't touch. And then there's another part that I do say that he can have. I want him to have access to everything. So whatever he speaks to me, I want to be able to respond to. I want to be able to move on. I want to be able to, to participate in. The whole concept of the Trinity, when we look at the Trinity in Scripture, this is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were in perfect unity, but it's this idea that they were given giving of themselves, giving of each uh, of themselves and of each other so that the mission of God could be fulfilled. The father in, in, in John three sixteen, the father gave the son, the son gave his life. The spirit gives us his presence, each working together, pulling together, giving together so that you and I may be saved. We can have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Many of us in this room here, we give every single week. We, uh, and some of us, it's, it's tithing. Some of us, it's, it's serving. And many of us, it's tithing and serving. We're doing both. And we've got a team of people who do, who do this every single week. Todd, happy birthday, man. You do, you do it every single week. And, and that's just part of it. You know, you, this whole idea of like, this is my time and my energy because I want to create a space. These chairs don't set themselves out. I want to create a space for people to connect with God. I want to create a space where people can, can have a, a relationship and, a, and an encounter with God and God can transform their lives. And so they give of their time and their energy to make an impact for the kingdom. So today I want to teach us just a little bit about giving. I want to teach a little bit about it. As I mentioned Things sometimes get weird in the church when you talk about giving and like, oh, no, this pastor is just talking about money. The church must be struggling. No, actually, we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good for a church that's our size, a small church that's facing COVID. I don't know if how many of you guys have been in a church that's faced COVID before. Oh, yeah, this is all of our first time, right? We're all doing this at the first time. Like, this is the first time we've ever done any of this, right? And so for a church that's our size, like financially, we're doing pretty good. We actually are. And so for all of you guys who are faithful in giving, I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for doing that. But that's not why we're, we're talking about this today, because we're, we're, not, we're not struggling. We're talking about this because our society views it differently. Young people, you're, 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 the society, the culture that you see on social media, it views money in a very destructive way. And so we have to have a good idea, a good thought process around it for, for, uh, and, and to see so that our minds can be renewed. Jesus talks about it in this way in Matthew chapter 6. So if you got your Bibles, this is where we're at today, Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth 
rust and and rust can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money in in our culture, when, when we're talking to Christians, is typically one of the last things that we submit to God. It's like the last stronghold, the last thing we hold on to our desires and for us to control in our lives. Some of us have an easier time with trusting God for our eternities than we have trusting him with our checkbooks and, and or with our tithe. And some of you are like, wait, wait, what is a tithe? Tithing is just simply an Old Testament concept. It's found in the Old Testament. We also see it found in the, the New Testament where uh People would bring their first fruits. They bring 10% of their of what they had, and they would bring it to, to God as an offering so that God's house and God's mission could be taken care of. The local synagogue was the, the place where the Jews would gather, and the church, that would be the local church in our context. And they would bring these funds to the priest so that, so that ministry could happen with the funds that they were bringing. And in, in this, this whole idea of tithe, this 10%, Malachi says in Malachi 3, verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse the storehouse being the local synagogue, that I might, uh, may, that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down, pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you and, and, I, and so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. This is the only time in scripture where we see this idea that we can test God. We can test God. The word for test here in the original Hebrew is the word bacon, not bacon. Now that I have your attention, bacon, that's different. Bacon, all right? The Jews didn't eat bacon. Bacon, and what it means is that, that it's, it, it just simply means to examine or try. Try God on this. Try God on this. See if, he, see if he'll be faithful to you. See if he'll be faithful to, to, to meet you in your need, to, meet you, to make sure. And again, like Malachi says, that there is no more need. Does that mean that those who tithe, those of you who faithfully tithe, does that mean that you never actually had a time in your life where you like needed funds? No, man, that happens to us all the time. Like you have to budget, you have to save, you have to do all those other things. But God just miraculously provides. Uh, sometimes with Liz and I will get a check in the mail for something that we weren't necessarily expecting. And I always look at Liz and I'm like, hey, there's a bill coming that we weren't expecting. <laughs> like, it's, just, it's just coming. Like we just know because God's providing sometimes beforehand, sometimes afterhand. But, but we just know that this is happening to us. And so God just provides when the needs are there. But when we're faithful with our tithe, the Bible tells us that we can try God on this. We can become God on this and he will be faithful. Jesus teaches that we can create an eternal savings account in heaven where we can store up treasure. Let's read Matthew 6 again, verse 19. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust can destroy or where thieves can break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust are, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. In this teaching, we read, how it's important that we, we, we see what Jesus is saying here. And Jesus is telling us that, that, that it's important for us to store our treasure, to store up treasure, not just here on earth, 
But when we get to heaven, you've all, you guys all have heard the saying before, you, there's, there's rarely like bank trucks following hearses. You can't attach a U-Haul to a hearse. When you go, that's it. What you go with, your body, that's it. That's, that's all you have. Now, you could pass things on to your family and your kids and all that stuff and, 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 and have this, this inheritance, and you can pass that on. But, but, but really, for you yourself, like, I can't bring my savings account in with me to eternity. I can't do that. And so what Jesus says is that, hey, we should be storing up things in heaven. We should be giving. We should be serving other people. We should be living our lives in an open way for God to use however he wants. And so we do that. And so he says, don't, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth. But then he says this. He says this in uh, verse uh, 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then there is light you, uh, in you, um, if then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will, he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It seems weird that he would change subjects like that. Like he's talking about money. He's talking about storing up stuff in heaven. But then he starts talking about the eye and how um, if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. And it's just kind of this weird transition that Jesus makes. But then he goes back to talking about money. And what we have to do is we have to read the Bible in context. and We have to understand that Jesus is making a point about what he's saying about money. He says this later on, you know, where, where your treasure is. Your heart will be there also. So if your eye, wherever your eye is directed, your body will go that way. It's like putting blinders on a horse. You know, like they put blinders on the horse in parades so that like all the activity over here and all the activity over here don't distract him from where he needs to be going. And so for us, we have to focus our eyes on Jesus. And when we focus our eyes on Jesus, everything we have comes with us. But if we're not focused on God, if our eyes are going all over the place of like, oh man, um, this, I want this thing and I want that thing. I want that. And it's not that having stuff is bad. Again, money is not bad. Stuff is not bad. The love of it is putting your faith, hope and trust in it. That's bad. And so we, we, we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. And when we do that, all of us comes with it in pursuit of Jesus. We have to serve God with all of us. We have to serve God with all of us. If God has me in the palm of his hand for eternity, then he's got me in the palm of his hand for my rent check coming up later this month. Like God has got you. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one or love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and he'll, or, and he'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. One of these two in your mind, you have been programmed, one of these two will meet your needs. One of those two things, God or money, will meet your needs. And so what Jesus is saying is that you're going to serve one of those. You're going to either serve God or you're going to serve money. It really comes down to which do you trust more? Do you trust the thing that you can't take with you to eternity that's going to fall away, that, 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 that it, it, you can't, it, it, the savings account won't go with you? Or do you trust God who has got you for eternity? 
You have to trust one or the other. You have to serve one or the other. Which is it going to be? And, and, and that's, that's really the message that Jesus is saying here. There's two reasons why people don't give. And this has been true in my own life. Uh, for, for times, you know, just being a young dad and, and going through things. I mean, I, I've been through seasons of this and I've had to learn how to trust God and how to, how to give and, and how, to, how to do this. But for me, there's really two reasons. The first one is this, that, that there's a lack of trust in God. Like if I give my tithe, will there actually be enough for me, for me to pay all the other bills that I have? And some of you guys, like, man, it's, it's hard. I know. I've, I've lived there where, where Liz and I, one time when we, were, we first got married, we sat down and we did a budget. You got to do this. This is good, good for you. We did a budget, and we were, like, super conservative. Like, okay, well, if we only spent, you know, I don't know, like a couple hundred bucks a month in food, um, that was it. That was everything. That was eating out everything. And if we paid our rent and we paid it, and then we had diapers and we did this and we did, put everything down, and we were, like, down, like, a couple hundred bucks at the end of every month, like, the, after we did our budget, we're like, how are we going to do this? Like, how are we going to do, how are we going to do this? How, how is it ever? And so for us to give the, the whole thing is like, man, if you're living paycheck to paycheck in the last couple of days of every single paycheck waiting on the next one is that you just don't have any money. And there's like literally 27 cents in your bank account. Guys, I've been there. I know what that's like. I know what that's like. And, and so this idea of like, man, if I gave, like there might not be enough at the end. And so there's a lack of trust in God. And, but the thing is, is that, again, Matthew or Malachi 3 says that there'll be no more need. We can test God on this and God will provide. And so we, and, and Liz and I have seen that in our own lives. So we have to trust God. We have to trust God. The second reason people don't give is this, a lack of stewardship. I know people who are deeply in love with God, who serve their hearts out, but they don't give because they are financially leveraged. It'd be cruel for me to preach a message about money and not acknowledge that some of us in this room might be hurting financially, especially in a year where so many people have lost their livelihoods and it's just been a hard, hard time. And so what we have to do is we have to, again, like I said before, we have to budget. We have to sit there and say, man, I, I, I need to make sure that I'm spending things right. I need to make sure that I'm, I'm not just wasting money on things. I need to make sure that, that, that I'm, I'm budgeting for things. I need to make sure that I'm not living off my credit cards and buying things that I don't need and I, don't, I can't afford just because I want it now. I have, you have to make sure that you're stewarding because there might be a time and I had a missionary friend that taught me this lesson, and it's, uh, it, when I heard him say it, it changed my life, and it changed how I view money and how I approach it. Here's what he said. One day, God might call you to do something, and if you are not ready financially, you're going to tell God that you can't. You're going to tell God, I can't do that. I can't quit my job and do that because I'm, I've leveraged myself in other ways. And so he said, live within your means, live within a budget. Don't go into crazy amounts of debt. Like just like dig in and say, this is what we're going to just steward with what we have. And because of that, when the time comes and God says, pack your stuff up and go across the world, pack your stuff up and go across or whatever he's telling you to do, you will be ready to do it. Be a steward. Giving whatever you can 
shows that you're placing trust in God. Maybe today for you, the target that we see in scripture of the tithe 10%, maybe you're like, man, I don't even know if I could do that. That's just really hard. I would tell you, instead of saying, well, if I can't do 10%, I'm not going to do anything at all. I would say just start somewhere. Start somewhere. Just say, you know, if I can't do 10% right now, and I'm just like, just start giving. Because when you give, it changes your way of thinking, I'm trusting God. I'm not trusting money here. Giving allows us to be part of what God is doing on a whole new level. It cha- it moves us from being just a spectator in church. We're, we're not a spectator. Now I'm an investor. Now I'm investing my resources into what God is doing. Now I'm participating in this. And some of you guys have heard me tell this story before. This is my favorite story to tell whenever I'm talking about money. When my 22-year-old daughter was six years old, we were moving from a house in Missouri that we bought really, really cheap because real estate in Missouri is cheap down to Alabama, which in Arizona terms, California terms, Alabama's still really cheap, but we didn't think it was because it was a lot more expensive than what we saw in Missouri. At that time, I think it was, I think our house was like maybe half the price of what you could get a house in Queen Creek for. Like it was just ridiculously cheap. But for us, it was expensive. Like we were, I remember being scared and and I vividly remember pulling into my driveway and I sat in my car in silence for a little bit and there's a little kid little six-year-old sitting in the back seat. She was, she was Zoe's age. And she reached into her pocket and, and we were just talking about, Liz and I were talking about how the house was so expensive and we were worried if we could afford it and all this stuff. Lily reaches in her pocket and she pulled out a dollar bill. And she gives me the dollar bill and I'm like, what is this for? Like, what, what, why, why are you giving me this dollar bill? And she goes, dad, I want to help with the house. I want to help with the house. Did that dollar bill make a difference to me? In the, in the in hundreds of thousands of dollars, did it make a difference? No, it didn't make a difference. Like, the thing is, is like some of us, when we go to church, we think, oh, well, the church wants my money. Listen, I, I, I don't, as your pastor, I don't want your, I don't, I, most of you guys know this. I can just be transparent. I don't take a check here. I don't, I don't want your money. I don't want to be in your bank account. I want you to participate in what God is doing. And God in this situation is God is sitting there saying, I want to transform. I want to build a place. I want to build a house. I want to build something in this community. I want to connect people with God. I want to transform lives in the city. And for some of us, we might think, well, dude, I just got a dollar. But God invites you to participate in what he's doing. Just as Lillian was participating in helping us buy the house, I think I ended up like putting it on her school lunch account or something like that. Like I ended up doing something else with it. But I actually took it from her. I didn't tell her that she could keep it. I actually took it because I wanted her to feel like she was investing in it, investing in what we were doing. So it, giving takes us from being a spectator to being an investor. Giving isn't something that... Um, that God just asked us to do and he doesn't do a part of it. No, God gave first. We talked about this earlier in John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's example of giving is love in action. He gave us his son because he loves us. And so we understand that God gave first. God gave First, giving it is an active response to all that God has done for us and our act of love to him. Second Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 8. The point is, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. So whatever seed you put in the ground, if you don't put a lot in the ground, you're not going to get a big harvest. But whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, meaning that God can cover your sins, God can be gracious to you, he's giving you grace in abundance, so that uh, having all sufficiency in all things at all times. How many of you guys think that sounds like a good deal? Having all sufficiency, everything is going to be enough in all things at all times that you may abound in every good work. Giving is our response to what God has done for us. Don't let money or the lack thereof rob you of all that God has done for you when you put your trust in him. Don't let it be the last stronghold in your life that you're holding back on because you trust it more than you trust God to take care of you. Instead, submit your entire life to him, the entirety of your heart, and let him mold and shape you into the person that he created you to be, to worship him.